The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. The end is near. Turn or burn. The end is near. Turn or burn. Now you know what uh, one of Pastor Trey's other new ministries is. We tried to think to ourselves, we wanted to typecast it, who's the most likely uh, homeless lunatic that would... Uh... No, the, the reason that we did that is because uh, we're studying Second Thessalonians together. And uh, as we've done this study together, the first chapter is about adversity. It's about hard things that are happening in the world. And the second chapter is about the return of the Lord. And I, I think that if you put those together and you start thinking, man, there are, there are terrible things, there are tough things that happen to us uh, in our life, and the Lord's about to return, your, your conclusion might be that you should just uh, try to win your friends and neighbors with a, with a full frontal attack, you know, because you, you want them to be in heaven with you. You want to spend eternity in heaven with the people you love. And so the idea is you're going to start the ministry of poster board and placards. And uh, you're going to take your tithe and buy a bullhorn. And uh, you're, you're just going to, you're going to rush people that need Jesus. And uh, as we study Second Thessalonians together, we discover, and we've entitled the series, Real Answers to Real Questions. So in face of adversity in the Lord's return, how should we live our lives? What should this look like? And how are people really going to come to Christ who need that salvation? So so instead of a full frontal attack, you know, nobody, you ever had to realize you, you needed a new car and you went to the car lot and there were seven of the salesmen trying to get to you first because they all wanted the commission on that and and that's not a good experience. You didn't, you didn't like that. And so how is it that people really come to Christ? How is it that we really experience them coming to a place of salvation? Well, we don't have to guess. Because as we study Second Thessalonians, we come to chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul, in this, this same exact context where he tells us about adversity. Now remember, God brings adversity into the life of the unbeliever for what purpose? Well, to bring them to Christ, to bring them to salvation. And, and God brings adversity in the life of the believer for what purpose? To make you more like Christ, to make you more like the Savior. So this is the work that he's doing in every, every person's life. And then we come to the fact that the Lord's going to return. That's what we studied last week. So Given the fact that there's adversity and the Lord's going to return, how do we live our lives? Well, Paul answers that question for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, written down, sent first to the church at Thessalonica, preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 
But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Now, the, the phrase first fruits is used in Scripture quite a bit. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about that those at Thessalonica were the very first to be saved in all of Greece. When Paul was doing his missionary journey, this was the first place where he planted a church. So they are the first fruits of those saved in Greece. He said, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Verse 14. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions. And here he's not talking about traditions as Jesus preached against traditions. Here he's talking about the scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Hold, Stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Because now the Thessalonians have received the first letter, now the second letter. And he concludes the chapter this way. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And one more verse, the first verse of chapter 3. Finally, brothers, because whenever you have a finally, it should really go with the last passage. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored just like it happened with you. Okay, so real answers to real questions. Okay, the Lord's going to return. There's going to be some adversity in our lives. So what does that mean for me? How should I live my life? How am I going to reach my friends for Christ? My, my one that I've been praying for. And some of you, your one is, I know more than one. And people that you love. And they're your, your kids and your grandkids and your, and your neighbor. And somebody you're going to work with tomorrow. And people that you care about. How, how am I going to do all of that? So the Apostle Paul says, okay, here's what it looks like. First, stop and consider your own reality. If you want to lead people to the Lord, what are you leading them to? Well, what has happened in your life when you gave your life to the Lord? That's your experience, your testimony is yours. And you know what the Holy Spirit of God has done for you. And it, it all starts with the fact that we are loved by the Lord. He says there in verse 13, Brothers, you who are loved by the Lord. If you're struggling with your theology, you're struggling with your doctrine, you're trying to figure the Word of God out, all you got to do is go back to the basics. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, if you think you've discovered a Bible commandment that takes you away from love, you have misinterpreted the Scripture. The scripture is all about love, and that's what we have from God. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. There's no greater love than this, than one laid down his life for someone else. And Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God's love is so great that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love. The scripture says, God is love. You say, Paul, you, you don't know what I've done. You know what I can tell you based on the authority of God's word? God loves you. You see, you, you don't really know what my life has looked like. I can tell you that God loves you. And that's the beginning of all of it. It is the foundation, not only for our lives, but as we try to live this life out. So if you've got your do's and your don'ts and your, your checklist, and you're trying to be more like Christ, and it doesn't have love in it, 
I just want to tell you, you're wasting your time. 1 Corinthians 13 says, the rest of it doesn't matter if you don't have love. And if we love the Lord, well, then we just kind of naturally keep his commandments because we, we love him so much. So it all starts with the fact that we are loved by the Lord. Secondly, we discover here in this passage some important words. He says in verse 13, you who are loved by the Lord, you, he chose you as the first fruits. That's how you were saved. And he goes on and he says in verse 14, to this you were called. So let's talk about this just for a second. This God who loves you, the God who created you, the God who designed you, this God who loves you and wants to bring you salvation, you, he chose you, he called you, and he saved you. I, I want you to think about this just for a little bit. What does it mean to be chosen by the Lord? Many of us, uh, when we grew up, uh, we were in grade school, there were a couple of things that happened along the way. Uh, when I grew up in grade school, when we'd go out for recess sometimes, or we'd go to PE class, there'd be a, oh, we were going to play kickball, or baseball, or basketball, and kind of what would happen, just kind of happened in grade school, the the two reigning most athletic kids in the class, they kind of became the captains. And they would choose the team up. And they, you know, want to take, I'll take this and I'll take that one. And then inevitably, as the group gets smaller and smaller, you start to feel the anxiety. And I don't know if this ever happened to you, but eventually somebody's left. And what's really bad is when both teams are even, and so the captains go, you take him, no, you take him, no, you take him. I was kind of athletic, so I'd, I'd often get picked there. But I'll tell you where I was left last on several occasions. You go in the classroom, and the teachers say, today we're going to practice for the spelling bee, so we're going to have a contest. And then inside the classroom, the two reigning intellectual champions kind of became the captains, and they picked everybody. And then eventually, who's going to tell you take him? No, you take him. And Paul would be picked last for the spelling bee contest. Last to be picked... First to sit down. Paul spelled cat. K-A-T. You're done. (laughs) Fulfilled everybody's expectations. And so sometimes we go through life and we're not chosen for this and we're not chosen for that. And we're not asked to be a part of the cool kids. And we didn't get the job promotion and we're not chosen. But I want you to know that God chose you. Do you know God created you just like you are on purpose? Do you know that? He created you. He takes delight in you. He, he loves you as he calls you home. One day when you get to heaven, nobody, it's not going to be an angel. It's got a big card catalog who has to look up your social security number. He calls you by name. He chose you. And the scripture said he not only chooses us, but he calls us. He, the, the word here is he, he woos us. He calls for us. God started before you can remember calling you, wooing you pointing you to his son, pointing you to salvation, pointing out your sin, not, not giving you any satisfaction with the things of this world so that you would come to salvation. He chooses us, he calls us, and he saves us. Say amen. amen. This is the work that God wants to do in everyone's life. And it's good for us to pause and remember, this is what he did for me. His grace is amazing. His love is wondrous. And it continues in all of our lives. But in this passage, we also discover that we are sanctified by the Lord. You notice the scripture says, end of verse 13, we are saved through sanctification by the Spirit 
and by the truth, belief in the truth. And of course, here the truth is a reference once again to the scriptures. So God saves us. We call that justification. That I'm saved from the penalty of sin. But sanctification is when he moves me now forward and he begins to save me from the power of sin. This is where many Christians kind of struggle. You struggle because you don't realize God is the one who will do the work. You embrace it. You receive it. You obey God, and he will do the work of sanctification in your life. Justification is when he releases you from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? The wages of sin is death. You don't have to die. You believe in Christ, and you will live forever. That's That's what Jesus said to Martha. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you will never die? Sanctification is when you're released from the power of sin. Many Christians that I know remind me of circus elephants. You know, when circus elephants are babies and they are apt to run away and be naughty like all babies and toddlers of all creatures and animals, the, the elephant master, the circus masters, they take a big, heavy, heavy rope with a huge stake, and they pound it in the ground. And that young elephant, he pulls and he tugs, and he can't get away from that. Have you ever heard of stories about an elephant's memory? That elephant doesn't stay a baby. It grows up to be maybe the most powerful animal on the planet. It grows up to just be huge, weighing tons and tons. He can do anything that he wants. He's so big. And when he's an adult, the circus master takes a string to something about the size of a 16-penny nail, and in front of the elephant, he taps it in the ground. And that huge elephant, with all that power, doesn't even try to get away because he remembers when he was a baby elephant, and he couldn't. Do you know what many of you are doing, believers? You're remembering when Satan controlled your life as unbelievers. You remember when he dominated your life before you had the spirit. And now you have the greatest power of the universe indwelling you. You have the spirit of God in you. Satan doesn't have any, any power over you. And you think he does. And you don't even try to overcome it. Sanctification is overcoming the, the power of sin. And then in this passage is also glorification. The scripture says in verse 14, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of Jesus Christ. This is, this is the whole thing. And God reminds us of this frequently. He wants to remind you what you're saved from. And he wants to remind you that your, your sin no longer has power over you. If the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And so he, he chose you. He called you. He saved you. He sanctifies you. And one day he will glorify you. And on that day, when you arrive in heaven, you'll be able to say, I have reservations. They'll say, under what name? You say, under the name of Jesus. Jesus made the reservations for me. And they'll say, oh, yes, we have them right here. Come this way, Mr. Jones. We've been waiting for you. That's how that goes. All of that is a reminder to us. In the days of adversity and difficulty and trouble and trial, what are we supposed to think about? We're supposed to think about how good God is and how much he loved us and how much he met our every need. But second, let's consider what the Lord asks of us in the context of this passage. In this very context, we are told what we should do. So what should we do in the hour of adversity? What should we do? We know, we know the Lord's going to come. What should we do? We, we uh, write out some poster boards and get a bullhorn? Here's what the scripture says we are to do. First of all, it starts verse 13. We ought always 
to give thanks. It's interesting to me that so many times we want to get to the complicated thing. We want to get to the mysterious spiritual principle. We want, uh, Paul, give me, the, give me the spiritual principle that nobody's ever really heard. I want that special thing. And we bypass the elementary things which are built for us that we might have the life that God intended. And it starts with being thankful. You can divide everybody on the earth into two kinds of people. There are people that are always negative, always pessimistic, always discontent, never happy with what they have, and those who have learned the attitude of gratitude. And even though I say you can divide everybody on the earth into those two groups, when you divide them, it breaks about 99% discontent and 1% thankful. When you read Romans chapter 1, and it's an ugly chapter, it's a description, it's a, it's a description of the, the sinfulness of mankind. And it talks about our spiritual sin, and it talks about our, our, our thought sins, and it talks about our physical actions, and it talks about our lusts. It's, a, it's, just a, it's, it's such an ugly chapter. It says, and God gave them up, and God gave them over, and God gave them up. If you look at all of that, all of that sinfulness begins with, and even though they knew God, they were not thankful in their hearts. This is the beginning for us. You say, well, there's so much evil in the world, there's so much trouble, in my, and my neighbor needs Jesus, and God's coming back. So where does it start? Start by separating yourself from the way the world lives and choosing to be thankful. You know what will be the greatest indictment for many of us as American Christians? When we get to heaven one day and discover that third world Christians who didn't have anything were more thankful than we are. And we've been given so much. We're a land of discontent. We, we, we think happiness comes with a pill. And we don't realize that we can choose an attitude of gratitude. We can choose the joy of the Lord. And God loves that Choice, because it recognizes that God will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I don't really have to worry about my needs. I don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to go hungry. God meets all my needs. And the question is, if you believe it, you're thankful. And if you don't believe it, you're not. And so it starts with being thankful. There's a second instruction here in this passage in verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions. Remember I told you this about the scriptures? Hold to the scriptures that you were taught by us. So, number two, we should stand firm in the word. Um, what happens at Emmanuel, and whether it's uh, here on Sunday morning with uh, me or whoever is teaching the Word, or in a life group, or in all that we do, we are going to point your attention to the Word. Why? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And the Word is more powerful and sharper than active than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder even the thoughts and the motives and the intents of the heart. The word of God never returns void. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God lasts forever. It's all about the word. If you're neglecting the word, you're neglecting your own soul. It's the instruction book for life. Continually. This happens continually here. Someone says to me, I I have never been in a church like Emmanuel. I, I, I've been a believer. Sometimes you say I've been a believer for 20 or 30 years. I've learned more Bible in the last year than I have my whole Christian life put together. I'm always happy to hear that 
And I'm always sad to hear that. Because every church that bears the name of Christ should be teaching the Word. And today, you, you've, got, you've got your Bible, and maybe you got, like me, I got a dozen Bibles. And you got it on your computer, and you got it on your phone. And you can, you can have the Word. It's everywhere. So why not give yourself to God's Word for your life? He will, he will answer your every question, meet your every need, instruct you as how to live life. It's all right there. So stand firm in the Word. In chapter 3, verse 1, there's a third admonition. Finally, brothers, pray. The thing that we do sometimes as Christians is we pray last. I try to figure it out on my own. And then if I can't figure it out on my own, I use the phone a friend option. And then I call my friend and then I text somebody. If I can't do that, I go, to, I go to the internet and I YouTube, how do you change the filter in the refrigerator? You know, you do that, don't you? So you go to YouTube, YouTube, how do I do this? How do I live my life? So then you do that. And if that doesn't work, then you ask somebody if they know of an expert. And then when everything doesn't work, I pray. We use prayer as our last resort when it should be our first resort. Prayer should be the very first thing that you do. Uh, Let me make this confession. When I was a young man, I worked really hard and I prayed a little. And now that I'm an old man, I have figured out I don't need to work very much, but I need to pray a lot. God does the work. The scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor, we work in vain. Do Do you realize this? There's a place for work, but a lot of people that don't know Jesus work really hard at what they do. But it's all in vain unless God is going to bless it. And so you should find out where God's at work and then join him in his work instead of asking him all the time to join you in your work. So prayer is a part of this. And then also in chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brothers, pray for us. Well, what should you pray? Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. This is the only time this phrase is used in all of the Bible, that the word of the Lord would speed ahead. You see, we should, we should work to speed up the work of the gospel. Let's be honest. Some of us are slowing down the work of the gospel. I have driven, I drove behind a guy the other day and he had a great big Christian bumper sticker. He didn't just have it, he had it like in the, he had it in the back window of his truck, you know. He was the worst driver. He was talking on his phone or texting and he was weaving and he got to the light and it was a turn only and he was doing his phone and he didn't turn. I I really wanted to follow him and say, take the Christian stuff off your truck if you're going to drive that way. He's slowing down the gospel. Many of us are like that, aren't we? For, for many of you, I, I want to say, don't share your faith because nobody wants to be like you anyway. You're slowing down the gospel. The scripture here says we should live in such a way that we speed up the work of the gospel. That's what God wants to do through us. That's, that's why as a group we, uh, we're involved. In, by the way, uh, Steve and Julie Lortz are in Nepal uh, the, today. They're doing reconnaissance for a trip that will probably be this fall. They're going to go a Wednesday up to a little village where we first did disaster relief. And uh, that place now, uh, Pastor Santos has a church there, and they have eight believers 
in a village that had no believers before we first went there. Uh, so they're doing that. Uh, you see in your bulletin that you have a chance to go to Ukraine uh, in May and June. And uh, Ed and Deb Smith are going to take another group again. Why are we doing all that? Because we want to speed up the work of the gospel. What are we talking about speeding it up? Well, there's two ways. One is we, we, when the last person who's ever going to get saved is saved, then the Lord returns. So we can speed up the Lord's return. But the other is people need Jesus before they go to heaven. Uh, after the 8 o'clock service, a man just came to me. And I could tell it was a private moment. I could tell it was going to be that way by his demeanor. And he said, hey, pastor, he said, uh, my one, he said, uh, he died this week. And as far as I know, he didn't receive the Lord. You got to speed up what you're doing. Do you understand that? Because the Lord may not come this week, but they may go into eternity this week. And so that's a part of what we have here. So uh, all of this is how we live our lives. You say, well, wait a second. I, I kind of thought, well, you know, when Pastor Trey walked across, it was turn or burn, and, you know, the end is near. And I, I thought we were going to kind of talk about how we share our faith. We are going to talk about how, our, how we share our faith. But if you don't take care of you first, your faith sharing won't be effective. So first, I develop an attitude of gratitude. I remember that I'm chosen and called and saved, sanctified, and I will be glorified. And I live in that, and I rejoice in that. And I choose to be thankful, and I choose to be a, one who stands in the Word and a prayer warrior and speeds up the gospel. But here it is. What is it that the lost soul really yearns for? What is it that they really need as we share the gospel. Well, look at this again in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, and by, by the way, there it, is, there it is again. It's always there, isn't it? Who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through his grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. What is it? That the lost soul yearns for. Is there a lost soul out there today just begging for you to come and out-debate them to the kingdom? Is there a lost soul out there today that's waiting for you to yell at them, Hey, you're going to hell! What is it the lost soul yearns for? Well, God created that soul. It's made in His image. It's, it's, it yearns for divine things. It yearns for the things that only God can give. It's been described as a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. And it starts with the love of God. Every person on this planet yearns to be loved. Sometimes we divide that into three things, but they're all love. Everybody wants to be loved, liked, and accepted. Every person on this planet. In fact, we're so confident of this that we take this message to Nepal. We take this message to the Ukraine. We take this message to every person in the world. We say, how, how do you know? You don't know them. But based on the authority of God's word, I know what the heart, the soul that God created yearns for. You know what you yearn for. I know what I yearn for. Everybody, everybody wants to be loved. The world just knows how to use other people. They might call it love, but they... They know how to use each other. They don't know what unconditional, unending, agape love is. That's what the soul 
desires. And so Jesus gives us our method of evangelism when he says the greatest, the greatest commandments love God. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. You, you, can, you can start a relationship with your neighbor just by shoveling all that snow off his driveway when it happens. By helping him do it. You might not even mention Jesus in that first event. You just start to love them. When you love them, and then when they know you love them, then you have the right to speak. There's a second thing here in this passage, and that is that every soul yearns for comfort. Look, at it's mentioned twice. It's not just once. It says uh, that the Lord himself loved us and gave us, in verse 16, eternal comfort and good hope through grace. So verse 17 Comfort your hearts. Twice. It's not a mistake. In fact, let's just go ahead and build on this. And what's one of the names of the Holy Spirit? He's called the teacher. He's called the advocate. But he's also called the comforter. Why? Because our souls desire comfort. We, we do everything we can to comfort our own souls, don't we? We go to Cracker Barrel and eat comfort food. And we discover after several trips that all the comfort food really does is make you fat. And so, and so we, we, we try to comfort ourselves, but that doesn't work. Little, little babies, toddlers still got the binky in their mouth. Why? Brings them comfort. Later on, they got a, they got a security blanket. It's a comfort blanket. And what, are, what do we do with adults? We just, we just change out the binky in the blanket for something that's accepted by society. And we have something that comforts us. And whether it's our, our things that we buy, or our toys, or our collections, or what it is, we gather it around us because it comforts, we think, our souls. But all those things that I'm talking about, they all come to an end. They don't really work. This, is, this phrase is eternal comfort. The comfort that God gives is not only for this life. It most certainly is. But it lasts forever. Why? Because God gives us himself. He gives us his Holy Spirit who indwells us, who is our comforter. And he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Every soul yearns for that. And lastly, eternal comfort and good hope. People need hope. There were, no doubt, in Montana this week, people who took their own lives because they felt like they had no hope. People need hope. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, but he's also the love, the comfort, and the hope. And, and, and you can't give any hope that's earthly. You can't say to somebody, hey, I... I know, I, I know you're going to make a lot of money, and then you're going to be okay. First of all, you don't know if they're going to make a lot of money. And secondly, you can be certain if they do, that's not going to meet their need. There's no hope in that. But God gives hope, built on the fact that he loves us. The, the phrase here that he uses in verse 16 is good hope. Do you see it? The word good, good is agathos. It's, we use it in the English as a female name, agatha. It means divine hope. It means, it means perfect hope. You know, some of us, our hope is like, I hope it doesn't snow anymore. But we, we have no idea whether it will or it won't. And this is not what that is. This, it's a blessed hope that comes from God. God gives hope. 
this is how we share our faith. You don't have to get a bullhorn and a poster board. You just have to start loving your neighbor. They have to see the thankfulness of your life. They have to see the content of your life. And as you live out your life based on God's word, fully, fully engrossed in your prayers, then God begins to do what you could never do. He opens up your friend's heart. He opens up your neighbor's heart. He changes a hard heart and he makes it soft again. And he leads us to repentance that we might be saved. That's what he did for you. And that's what he wants to do for your loved ones through you. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Is it possible this morning that you really are sincere about the salvation of your loved ones, but you've been going about it all wrong? You, you've, been, you've been rushing in to out-debate them. You've been, you've been getting ready to buy the bullhorn. You've been thinking, I'm going to sit them down and, and tell them a thing or two. And I'm going to preach, them, preach a hard message at them. And what God wants you to do is work through his creative design and to recognize that the very things that you long for, love, comfort, and hope, are the same things they long for. And if you will come to them based on those things, if you will create a life of integrity so they they know that you can tell them the truth and they'll turn to you, then God will do that marvelous work right before your eyes. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I I wouldn't embarrass anyone. I'd never do that. But how many of you would say, uh, Paul, pray for me. I, man, that's what I'm searching for. I'm searching for love and comfort and hope and pray for me. I, I, I need that in my life. You just lift your hand up. Yes, yes, yes. Many of you. God bless you all over the room. How many of you would say, Paul, pray for me. I, I got someone I love that I, wanna, I want them to receive Jesus. And I think I just figured out I've been going about it wrong. And you'd say, pray for me. I need to do this a different way. Yeah, many of you all over the room. God bless you. Father, you've seen all our hands, you know our hearts. We have your word today. And it's, it's, not a, it's not a hard passage. It speaks very directly to us, right in the context of the fact that you are going to return. So how should we live in light of your return? Well, you've told us. And so, Father, we pray that first of all, we would celebrate your salvation, your, your work that you, you accomplished already in our lives. And then, Father, we pray that we would live thankful lives. Father, we pray that we would live lives uh, built on the word and in prayer and that we would speed ahead the gospel. And, Father, for our loved ones, Father, give us the ability to reach out to them with love and comfort and hope that will most certainly change their lives. Do this for your glory and your honor, for we pray it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said... Amen. I want to invite you to uh, join us for a special time together next Sunday. I want to stop the study of 2 Thessalonians just for one week. And I have a sermon that I believe the Lord's placed on my heart called, When We're Surrounded by a Great Stadium of Witnesses. We're going to have a little fun with it. Here's one of the things we'd love for, for you to do. We'd love for you to wear the jersey of your favorite team. I know this will be the Raider Nation right here. I know these guys. Uh, 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 some people messed up. There was a guy at the 8 o'clock service. He wore his jersey today. 
Just so you know, he was a cheesehead, and that's why you know he had the wrong day. They haven't been in the Super Bowl so long, you didn't know what day it was. Uh, but next Sunday's that day, and if you say, I'm not a football fan, then wear your favorite baseball jersey. Just come in the fun of it. Uh, but uh, God's put a message on my heart. It'd be the perfect day for you to bring someone who doesn't usually go to church. Maybe you say, hey, come to church with me, and then we'll go to my house for the Super Bowl party or whatever you want to do. Perfect event to bring your one and uh, come and join us next Sunday. Well, this morning, I don't have to search the scriptures for a benediction. Uh, Part of what we studied here, if you recognized it, is an actual benediction. Here's how it reads again. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through his grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.